For those of you who may not know me, I'm John Slivkoff, pinch hitting for our pastor who is uh, with his wife taking a, we trust, a, a well-refreshing break, and uh, we hope that they enjoy it, and they'll even be blessed. I don't know where they're going, but I hope they're, they're blessed with good weather, like we are today, right? It's a little cold, but we've got clear skies. I thought when I first walked in, we still had them. Or am I walking by faith and not by sight now, Brenton? <laughs> and it's a privilege to be able to pinch hit for him today and uh, open God's word in a way that we want his Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and hear what we need to hear for our lives today. Some of us come here today and we're, we're, uh, we're in victory. And some of us uh, uh, need some some comfort because we're going through hard times. Some of us may need some conviction, loving conviction from God's Spirit to do some course corrections. I don't know where you are, and it's none of my business, but I'm glad that the Word of God is there. And as it says in Scripture, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good works. With that thought in mind, let's bow together in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for the fact that you are the living God and you have demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what manner of love it is that we should be called your children, as many as received your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that your word is truth and that your word is spirit and they are life. And, it, and your words are spirit and they are life. We pray that your servant today will rightly divide your word of truth and that we will readily receive it and apply it in the way that your Holy Spirit directs us to do that. We also want to pray for our pastor Chris and his wife Sarah and pray that they'll have a refreshing break from ministry and bring them back, Lord, uh, renewed in spirit, soul, and body. And we thank you for them and their commitment to you, the commitment to the faithful ministry of your word, and commitment to be a shepherd to the flock of God. And so, Lord, as we have recognized, some of us come today in different situations in our lives. So we pray that your your word, as it is presented, will be applied through your Holy Spirit in the way that each of us needs it, whether it is comfort, uh, clarity for decisions that need to be made, uh, loving conviction for course corrections, uh, encouragement, Lord, just to uh, run the race that's set before us with endurance. We thank you, Father, that your word is there to equip us so that we can be thoroughly equipped to do the good works that you've called us to do as an expression of the faith that has given us life in Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. I had a friend uh, some time ago that had an adult son who had said to his mother, life is a bummer and then you die. What an outlook. What a tragic outlook. But, you know, some of us this morning, right right now, in honesty, may feel not too much different. I hope not. But we can't exclude that possibility. By contrast, Jesus said in John chapter 10 of the Gospel of John, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's the good news that Jesus Christ represents. That's in such contrast to the uh, philosophy of people who are living in despair or pessimism and have no hope outside of Christ and outside of this life. But let's take a minute to kind of look at some of the ways that's manifested when it's outside of Christ. 
Uh, I remember one time in my earlier years in the work world that I was uh, a co-worker with a fellow whose dream was to to uh, be a millionaire by the age of 25. That was his idea of, of the good life. Or maybe someone else would say, for me, it's going to be, uh, be on American Idol or gaining some fame and career as an entertainer. Uh, but if you look around you, that really doesn't make much sense. Look at the examples of successful entertainers who die by suicide or drug overdose. Or the person who thinks, I just need to have a, uh, uh, you know, the, the new car. I don't know how many times I've seen somebody driving a Beamer or a Mercedes, and that's okay if you've got one. But it's pretty clear that that isn't going to fulfill their hearts, because I've seen a lot of people driving those cars who don't have smiles on their faces. I remember one young man saying, I want to live fast and die young and make a good-looking corpse. Fortunately, he came to Jesus Christ before he fulfilled that philosophy, and he went on to be a, a very effective Christian speaker and even wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth that a number of decades ago uh, scared some people into putting their faith in Christ because they thought the, the kingdom, I mean, the, his coming was right around the corner. Uh, the author had the, the timeline wrong, and he was caref- careful not to be real dogmatic about it, but the book was clear enough to say, you better be prepared to meet your God, and the way to meet your God is to get ready to know Jesus. So what is the key to a life that really matters? Obviously, we looked at some examples that don't matter. What is the key to a life that really matters? We need to go to Jesus for that. In the book of John, there are seven I am's that Jesus declared. And in John chapter 15, he declares the last one. And that's the one through which we want to understand how to find a life that really matters. And I want you to to turn with me in your Bibles or... I'm not sure if we're going to have it up on the screen, Marcus, but I think it's always good to have a rustling of the leaves, especially in the autumn. So if you have a Bible, turn to it, or if you've got an electronic Bible, that's okay too. But we're going to walk through that passage briefly here in terms of reading it and then looking at the components that are so key to answering the question, how to live a life that really matters. So I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation. That will be the one that if you didn't bring a Bible, they would have passed it out to you. By the way, does somebody need a Bible? Don't be embarrassed. Raise your hand and we'll have somebody make sure that it gets supplied. Well, that's great. Looks like everybody's well equipped. You may be out of luck this morning, Eric. Okay, good. good. All right. I am the vine. Jesus is speaking here. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you Abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, 
and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It covers some ground, doesn't it? But I want you to look, as, as I hope you will do in your own personal Bible study, at some key words here. One of them is abide. In fact, Jesus uses the, the, the verse or the verb ten times in this passage, abide. Now, we don't have to be rocket scientists to conclude that, well, if Jesus is talking about abiding that many times, it must be a key word here. We're safe in concluding that, aren't we? Yeah. What's the other one? That you bear fruit. And if you look at the progression in there, that you bear not only fruit, but that you continue to bear fruit so that you bear more fruit and that ultimately so that you bear much fruit. And in this way, my father is glorified. So we've got two key words there that we want to anchor things on here. Abiding and fruitfulness. And the key to fruitfulness is abiding. If you wanted to do something in terms of an outline and we can keep it simple, we've got the the what. Uh, we're going to address the how and the why. So the what would be Abiding. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He, he, rec- he recognizes the importance of it, and then he issues it as a loving commandment. Abide in me. He just wants to emphasize how key it is. One of the things I've come to appreciate is that whenever we are given an instruction in the Bible, it's always for our benefit. I mean, let's face it. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us to do anything so that he feels uh, like he's okay. I mean, God's self-sufficient. So when he gives us instructions, it's not to make him feel good. He gives us instructions so that it will be well with us. Uh, Every parent has house rules. Some of you are under those house rules because you're young enough. Some Some of you may be looking forward to being out from under those house rules. But if you've got good parents... The rules that they have are generally there for your benefit. Now, you may say, I'm not so sure that mowing the lawn or uh, taking out the garbage is for my benefit. But yeah, it is because it cultivates a work ethic. It may not be something, may not be your dream job, but it's, it's developing a, a work ethic that for some people seems to be almost non-existent. They're, they're focusing on what can I get out of life, but not what do I have to put into it to get something out of life. So if parents who are not perfect set up rules that are generally, ultimately, for our benefit, even though at at the time that they're being given, we're not convinced that's true. We also have to remind ourselves that the perfect Father in heaven gives us instructions, rules, whatever you want to call it, boundaries that are always for our benefit. God doesn't need us to obey them. We need to obey them for our benefit. Because if we believe that God is really good and he is wise, what what other conclusion would we come to? So the what is abiding. What does it mean to abide? Well, the word means remain, continue, dwell, stay. If we were to use the vernacular, the the instruction is stick close to Jesus. (laughs) Don't go wandering off on your own. Stick close to Jesus. Uh, When we have three kids, they're all grown. They're clothed and in their right minds. Uh, But we had one that was when they were really young. And I'm not going to mention which one it was. Uh, 
was a happy wanderer. I mean, you always had to keep your eyes on this particular child. In fact, this particular child was so prone to go off on their own, not stay close to mom or dad, that my wife figured if this child is going to survive till puberty, I'm going to have to put a harness and a leash on this kid when I go out in public. And she thought, I'm sure there are going to be people who think I am really a very bad parent. But she said, I was encouraged one day, and this was when this child was about three and four, you know, old enough, I think probably about three, old enough to go do things and do things fast. And any of you are parents, you know how quick these kids can move from one place to the other. You take your mind off, you take your eyes off them for 10 seconds, they're gone. This was, this was our cat and kid. And we love, love this, this one very much, just like the other two. But one day she was gratified when a mother came up to her and she said, I had one just like that. <laughs> I think God has a lot of kids that are just like that. We put our faith in Jesus Christ and then we think we can just go off and do our own thing. That somehow the instructions that he gives us really don't apply to my circumstances. Because, because I'm the exception for some reason. Somebody says there's nothing in the world that we can't rationalize if we really want to. But if we stay close to Jesus, it's going to turn out right. It's when we wander off on our own that we get into trouble. And that's why we have the illustration in the Gospels where the shepherd has a hundred sheep and then he goes off to find one that has wandered off. Remember in that story, that sheep already is his, but for some reason has gone someplace else and the shepherd has to go find the sheep that already belongs to him who's wandered off. So abiding means that we remain, stay close to Jesus, and whose responsibility is it to abide? Yours and mine. This is not a salvation issue. Some people disagree with that in this passage. You might disagree with me. But uh, I'll borrow a statement from uh, J. Vernon McGee for those of you who recognize him. He'll say, now I know some of you out there won't agree with me in Radio Land about what I'm talking about. But when you get to heaven, you'll find out I was right. (laughs) So there are some things we can agree to disagree on. And I don't want to spend the time maintaining why I think this is not an issue of salvation. Because we don't do anything to to earn our salvation. Abiding is an act that we do, that we take responsibility for, that is a result of our salvation. Our salvation is based on John 3.16. You can quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Earlier in that same Gospel, he says, as many as received him to those he gave the right to be called the children of God. That's our position in Christ. Once you're born into your family, you're a son or a daughter. But the question about the abiding part has to do with our fellowship with the person who gives his life. So we have a position in Christ. That's our salvation. We also have a practice in Christ. And that's our discipleship, our fellowship our progressive sanctification, if you will. That's the part we're responsible for. Now, we don't have to do it in our own strength, but that's our responsibility. That is really a work. And what does Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation has nothing to do with works. But the, the sanctification part, the growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, the part that produces the other key word in this passage, fruitfulness, is up to us. Are we going to stay close to Jesus or are we not? 
That's your choice. That's mine. And Jesus is emphasizing how important it is to stay close to him. That's the what. How do we do that? Well, in this passage, he talks about it in terms of abide in my love. In verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So are you ready for this big theological, complicated answer to how we abide? Obey. <laughs> Obey. There's an old song. I'm going to date myself here, but some of you people who may also be approximately my age may remember this song that says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to do what? Trust and obey. Sounds simple, doesn't it? It's not always simple in life, and it's not always simple in our Christian life. Let me give you an illustration about how it's not always simple in life. Uh, Some of you may, I can't remember if I shared this story in some context here, but I know some of you have never heard it before. In my younger years, I had an opportunity, if you want to call it that, after church. uh, No, I think it was after our men's uh, early morning prayer group. One of the fellows in our group said, you know, I think this is really a good day uh, for us to be able to do something that you guys might be interested in. There were just about four of us. And he said, uh, I I can round up a couple of wings, and any of you want to learn to go hang gliding, uh, we can do that today. Anybody here want to go hang gliding? A couple of you do? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was I was younger, and uh, I thought, cool. Uh, the guy who was offering it was a certified flight instructor. Sounds good. He had access to some wings. This also sounds good. And then we went to a location uh, farther down the southern court. Uh, uh, Oregon coast around Cape Kiwanda, where there were sand dunes and stuff. Some of you know, some of you know where that area is, Cape Kiwanda, etc. Yeah. So we went down there, and uh, he instructed us on what we needed to do. You get hooked up in this harness, and you have this kind of a triangular aluminum handle here that you put in front of you, and you you wear a helmet. Imagine. So he said, "Okay, let's let's give you a chance to get a feel for this." So I said, uh, "Here's here's a little uh, drop off, and it was about like this." As I remember, a little sand dune that kind of went down to this next level. So he said, I want you to just kind of get a feel for it. You just run down this slope and step off and just kind of get the feel of how you can get a little bit of gliding uh, momentum. So when it was my turn, I put on my helmet. I'm wearing glasses. Got the shoulder strapped, and I, and I start to run down here. And the next thing I know, I'm lying there face down in the sand. My glasses are like this. The helmet's kind of crooked. And uh, I'm kind of stunned and humiliated. And then my friend says, you want to know what you did wrong? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. He said, you slowed down when you got to the end. Yeah, wouldn't you? <laughs> Nobody says, no. Okay. So he says, I think what we need to do is kind of step up the ante a little bit. He said, we're going to go over here to this cliff that's about eight, might have been ten feet. It's kind of a drop-off dune to the beach. And uh, my instructor, friend, said, now, what I want you to do... By the way, his name was Cliff. (laughs) He said, what I want you to do uh, to uh, keep you from slowing down and overriding what your brain says you should be doing is is just to let out this karate yell. You know, and just, just give it all that you've got and just go for broke. And I'm thinking... 
come this far. Haven't done too well so far, but Cliff says this is how to make it work. So I thought, well, I'm either, I'm in this far, am I going to go through with it or am I going to back out? I came this, this far to learn to fly. I think I'm going to go for it. So, um, we may have to turn the sound down. I looked around, and there are, there are sand dunes a little higher up here, and there were a couple of people that were way off there, but I didn't know them. They didn't know me, so I thought, no problem. So I hunkered down, got my helmet on, glasses straight, and I went for the edge, and I went like this. Don't, don't freak out, Justin. <laughs> ah! And I stepped off, and I crashed. No, no. <laughs> I actually got air, and I was floating and I was about, you know, eight, maybe eight feet above the ground. But I mean, I'm floating. And I'm, I'm just going across this long stretch of low tide beach. And I thought, this is fantastic. And Cliff is back there on the cliff saying, okay, now, don't, don't push too far on the bar. Because you push on the bar, you'll go up and you can, you know, you might stall. And then he said, okay, pull back just a little bit. So I'm listening to him. And all the, in all the reality, what's going on here? Whether or not I processed it step by step consciously, I've had to make a decision. Can I trust this guy? Well, so far it's working. Two things would be important here. Is he competent? Is he capable of, you know, helping me do what I need to do? Yeah, he's a certified flight instructor. Is he a person who cares about my welfare? Yes, he was my Christian brother. And as far as I know, I hadn't offended him yet, so he didn't have anything for me. He didn't want to hurry me off to heaven any sooner. So I had two things going for me, his competence and his care. And I decided I could trust him. And when he said, move the bar forward or backwards a little bit to keep your, you know, your stability there, he was worth listening to. And I had this special, unforgettable ride that to this day, and it's been many years, I will never forget. And because I was willing to trust and obey Cliff, I was able to fly right. You know where we're going with this, don't you? When you and I trust and obey Jesus Christ, and that's the way we abide in him, that's the way we're going to fly right. Whether or not you ever want to go hang gliding. In fact, I found out later as I was applying for some new life insurance, it said, you ever done any hang gliding? I thought, oh boy, my sins are going to find me out now. <laughs> so I had to explain myself. I said, hey, I only tried it once. You know, I'm not in the sport. I just tried it once. They let me have my, my policy. So what are we to do? We're to abide. How do we do it? By trusting and obeying Jesus Christ. And he said, this is, my, this, is, this is the way it's going to be done. So then the why we do it comes to the other key word, the fruitfulness. And we've already indicated that that is the other key word. But also, hopefully you've noticed as we go back to it, that there's a progression. That we not only bear fruit, but that even by verse 2, you're bearing, the desire of God is that you bear more fruit. Or, or Jesus as the vine. Excuse me. Then by the time you get down to about verse 8, it says, this is, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So he wants us to become more and more productive. Anybody here use miracle Grow for your potted plants? Yeah. Makes them grow more fruitful, doesn't it? Now, it may be flowers or it could be tomatoes, but you're trying to do things that will help augment their fruitfulness, so that it will become more and more abundant. I was just talking to my 93-year-old aunt who lives in Southern California. Is she a trip? I cannot believe it. When she's on the phone, she is so full of energy and life. 
and it's like the aunt I knew 50 years ago. And she said, my my uh, son-in-law and his wife got me these uh, elevated flower tubs because she said, no, I can't get down on my hands and knees anymore. What a wimp, huh? So she's, she's having a great ball with that. She's got a green thumb. But she also got a hold of some uh, uh, fish fluid of some kind. She said, it's really smelly stuff. I just put it on at night. <laughs> so her son-in-law came over a couple of days later, and she had these tomato plants that were just going crazy. He said, he said, my wife's plants are like that. What did you do? And she told him what she had done. She had augmented the soil with this fish, uh, fish uh, potion thing. And, of course, it has the potency to make things grow as well as smell. Bearing fruit, more fruit, much fruit. How does Jesus do that in our lives? Well, one of the things that's in there is kind of uncomfortable at the very beginning, and that is uh, if something doesn't bear fruit, most translations will say he takes it away. Now, bear with me. If you like to do word studies, the Greek word... The basic meaning of the Greek word is not take away. The basic meaning of that Greek word I wrote is lift up, lift up. So I really believe that the the better translation here is that when the vine dresser sees that you've got a branch that's lying on the ground where it doesn't have the proper sun and oxygen, he lifts it up like a good shepherd would do. I'm I'm mixing metaphors here, but Jesus is our good shepherd. And... uh, the vine dresser, our heavenly father, has the same qualities. So I believe what's going on here is he's saying, I want to give this branch a chance to become fruitful. Not just going to take it away at the outset. Now, by the time you get to verse 6, it says, you know, if this branch doesn't bear fruit, then it is, it, it's, it's uh, cut off and thrown into the fire. And depending on how your translation reads, it will say that, that, uh, you then will become like a branch that is thrown into the fire and burned. And again, I think it's very important that we recognize this is not a passage about salvation. This is a passage about stewardship, fruitfulness. The issue is fruitfulness here. So if I'm not bearing fruit as the fruit-bearing entity that I'm meant to be, then I'm, I'm going to be wasted. I'm just going to be a useless Christian in the eyes of God. doesn't mean he doesn't love me, but I'm not going to be bearing any fruit. It's going to be a lot like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it talks about making sure that you build with gold, silver, and precious stones, not with wood, hand, stubble, because the fire is going to test it, and that which doesn't matter is going to be burned up. You will be saved, yet so as by fire. I'm going to go in empty-handed. When I was, uh, when my wife and I were early in our youth ministry, I remember one Good kid, but he was really honest. He said, all I care about is getting into heaven. And he wasn't, he wasn't saying that in a way where he didn't care, but he just didn't understand that there was more to life than fire insurance from hell. And I wanted Steve to be able to realize that, that you're, you're being given an opportunity as a newborn person to be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and to have something to show for it. And that's what Jesus wants for us. Does he need that for us? No. Do we need that for us? Yes. Because if we want to live a life that matters, not only in the sense of what matters to God, but that's going to be fulfilling for us, we're meant to be fruitful. That's that's the part that offers what Jesus said. I came to you that you may have life 
but to have it abundantly, not just living, surviving. Certainly not life is a bummer and then you die. What kind of fruitfulness are we talking about? Do you have to be like this one person who got saved and then he went on to be a famous speaker and author? That's great for him. But is that what you need to be to be fruitful? No, I think we've got two passages in Scripture that really spell out how that fruitfulness is important and and meant to be manifested. One is in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the what? Of the Spirit. And you've got nine qualities there. Not sure how good my brain's going to be right now, but we'll go for love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control against which there is no law. In other words, fruitfulness in godly character. And then there's another beautiful passage, and that's in Second Peter chapter 1 where it makes it pretty clear that in addition to your faith, the apostle is challenging us to add something to what God has already given us in terms of the new life. It says in First Peter or Second Peter chapter one, verse five, now for this very reason also applying all diligence to, oh, we have it up on the side ones. Okay. And if you don't, you've got your Bibles, right? To, uh, uh, applying all diligence in your faith, do this. Moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. Do we, you, you hear something here that's kind of an overlap with 522? Yeah, self-control. Perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. Verse 7, in your godliness, brotherly kindness. Did we have kindness in the fruit of the Spirit? We did, didn't we? And in your brotherly kindness, love. Did we have that in the, the 522 passage of Galatians? Yeah. There's an overlap here, but I want you to notice something else too. Some of these are inward qualities, like joy. In fact, Jesus said, I'm telling you all this so that your joy may be full. He came that would give us life, that we would have it and have it abundantly. He said, I'm, I'm doing this so that you'll not only have joy, but that your joy may be full. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. That's an inward quality. How do we define joy? If your mom and dad... Guys or gals here said, got a surprise for you. Monday morning, you can stash your homework, whether you're homeschooled or you're off to school. We're all going to Disneyland. Would you be happy? I think you would be happy. They actually say that there are more adults who go to Disneyland than kids. And they use their kids as an excuse to relive their childhood. I don't know if that's true or not. It probably was when we did it. But that would make you happy because of the circumstances, right? Is it okay to be happy with good circumstances? Yeah, I would feel sad if we had good circumstances and we weren't happy. But joy is something that doesn't depend on the circumstances. Joy is this deep down sense of well-being, even confidence if you want, in the fact that you believe and the one who governs your circumstances, even when they're not good. That you really believe in Romans 8 where it says, he's able to make all things work together for good to those who love him, called according to his purpose. Or if you want to use James chapter 1, which is so radical, it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Some of us don't like to hear that verse, do we? Especially when we're going through it. It's like, okay, I've heard this. I get it. 
I don't want to be reminded. But we sometimes do need to be reminded, don't we? Because we get our eyes off of the controller of the circumstances and we're all glued on the circumstances. Remember what happened to Peter when he wanted to walk on water? And he was doing fine as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But as soon as John back there in the boat said, Look out, Peter! Here comes a whopper! And he got his eyes on a wave, got caught up with his circumstances, he started to go under. Now, lest we be too hard on Peter, he's the only one that ever had that experience. All the other guys are still in the boat. And if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. So Jesus wants us to have, in terms of our fruitfulness, qualities like joy, as well as the other qualities of the Spirit that are inward. But he also wants us to have qualities that are expressed outwardly in our conduct. So it's not just a fruitfulness of character, it's fruitfulness of conduct. Brotherly kindness isn't something that's just held inside, is it? <laughs> if you've got brotherly kindness, you're going to show it. If you've got love of any kind, he's got to show it. It's not just a warm feeling. In fact, the Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It's the law of love. Look at verse 12. He said, "This is if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and this is my commandment, that you love one another. And one of the ways we love one another is to bear one another's burdens. I, I like stuff that has to do with flying. I'm going to give you two flying illustrations today. Uh, this one is based on a true story in Vietnam when a couple of fighter pilots went on a raid into North Vietnam. And by this time in the, in the, uh, in the war, uh, the Vietnamese were getting pretty good with anti-aircraft fire. And these two planes, uh, the fuselages got riddled with, with, with bullets. One of them was still in good enough shape to make it back on his own, but the other one was losing uh, fuel, hydraulics and stuff, and he was not going to make it with the plane. He and his, uh, and his partner in the plane, because they were two-seaters, were going to have to eject. And they were still over North Vietnam. They already knew that the North Vietnamese had a special place in their hearts for American fighter pilots. And they were treated with special kinds of hospitality that were very cruel. And they thought, the guy that was in the plane, that was his partner that was going to be able to make it, he thought, we can't let this happen. Yeah, we're going to lose the plane, but we can't do it here and now. But how else, how can we get my, my, my buddy and his uh, co-pilot back across into safe territory? So the fellow who had the, the, the less damaged plane, I mean, he's flying wounded, not, not physically, but the plane, he thought, well, I've got an idea, because these are carrier-based planes. Uh, no, forget that part right now. He said, you know, our, our, they're carrier-based, yeah. So when you land, you want to be able to stop the plane fast. And in the, in the tail, they had a little uh, uh, cover area that can be popped, and the chute comes out, and it acts like an air brake. He said, I've got an idea. He said, release your, your tail parachute. And he said, that's going to leave a hole there. I'm going to try to put the nose of my airplane into the tail of yours to push you along. How's that for gutsy flying as well as precision? Well, some of you know where this is going to go because when you try to do that right behind another airplane that's going several hundred miles an hour, you're going to be experiencing something that's called jet wash. And it gets real turbulent. And so when he tried to do that, he was losing control of his airplane. He thought, I can't do this. This isn't going to work. Well, the guy is losing altitude, and they're still inside of airspace, uh, North Vietnamese airspace. So he came up with an idea. He said, because we're carrier-based, he realized that each one of us 
has a tail hook so that when you hit the aircraft carrier deck, this four-foot rigid steel tail hook comes down and grabs the cable. Now, if any of you have seen stuff like Top Gun or other things, you know what we're talking about. He said, lower your tail hook. It drops down four feet at about a 45-degree angle from the back part of the fuselage of the plane. And I'm sure his buddy is thinking, what are you thinking of doing? He said, I'm going to try to move up slowly and carefully and put the, uh, the front of my nose you know, between the, the nose and the canopy on that relatively flat part. And he said, I'm going to try to move up real carefully and make contact with the end of your tail hook and try to apply enough pressure to keep giving you some lift that will allow you to keep moving farther and farther toward uh, friendly territory. And he was able to successfully do that to the point where he got enough lift bearing the burden of his buddy here to get him far enough across the border where he had to still eject because the plane was it was uh, was a gone gone deal anyway, but got him and his buddy back into territory where it was safer for them to land. And then he himself, because of what he did, I think, uh, expended enough fuel and stuff that he lost his airplane too. So when they got back to base, how do you feel the commanding officer felt? <laughs> you lost two planes. You might have only lost one if you'd just done what you could do to get yourself back. But they got two teams of fighter pilots back. So when he got back, actually he got in trouble. And it wasn't until years later that he was awarded a medal for what he did and has to this day among flyers uh, the label of the one who uh, came up with what's called the Pardo push because it was Colonel Pardo who did this for his buddy. He bore his buddy's burden, lifted him enough to carry him to safety. I love that story, not only because it's a, an amazing aviation story, but to me it's a beautiful illustration of what we can do when we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. we got, uh, at the risk of embarrassing some of these great young adults here, we've got a bunch of you from Ecola Bible College. How many of you are here from Ecola Bible College this morning? Oh, wow, you are well represented. <laughs> we had a number of them at our table last Sunday, and they, the guys ate us out of house and home. No, no. <laughs> no, it was a delightful, delightful time of fellowship. But they live in close community, and you know what I'm talking about, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That some of you go through things, as do any of us, but when you're in close proximity, not just on Sundays or Thursdays, but you're living together, you're going to class together, you are around each other a lot and can really feel the temperature in a person's life, whether they're going through a trial, they need some prayer. But that's what any of us can do, whether we're in a concentrated Bible college environment or we're in a home group or we're here on Sundays or Thursday nights. What I like in our church, uh, among things, other things, is that after church, a lot of you just don't go bolting for the door. Now, some of you may have to because you have some responsibilities that put you on a time crunch. But it's very common for you just to, as the pastor would say, hang out <laughs> and talk with each other. And very common for somebody to just go over in a corner or out in the lobby and just pray for one another. That's the kind of thing that is practicing the law of love and fulfilling, and fulfilling the law of Christ. It's one of the qualities that is fruitfulness in our lives. So whether or not 
you are ever famous in the eyes of the world, you're doing what matters to God in terms of fruitfulness in your life. The fruitfulness of godly character and the fruitfulness of godly conduct. And I hope the question isn't hard to answer. Isn't that what you and I really want for our lives? We want to be people who live a life that really matters in the eyes of God. If it does, it's going to make a difference in the sense of fulfillment in our lives because we're, we're, we're doing what God created us to do as new creatures in Christ. But it's also going to be something that blesses or edifies the lives of fellow believers. And also, it's going to be something that gives credibility to our witness because it says in Scripture, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. To be honest with you, I don't know how well that works how obviously that works in every situation. But if the Bible says that's what's going to happen, it's going to happen sooner or later. I know of a guy who worked in the business world situation, and he had another fellow who worked with him a lot, and he said, I know you're a Christian, and I've been watching you, and you add up. That's what we want people to see in us. Whether or not they're ready to say, I want to know Jesus Christ right now, you add up, you're for real get tired of people who are busy focusing on the hypocrites that they've seen in the Christian world. But I just want to say to anybody who does that, do you have an example of anybody in your life that was a credible Christian? Do you have a praying grandmother? And I remember one time when my wife and I asked somebody that, and all of a sudden the lights went on. He said, yeah, yeah, I did have a Christian grandmother who prayed for me. And now the lights were going on in his own life, and he was being drawn to Jesus. Only takes one genuine Christian to prove the credibility of the Christian faith, not ten hypocrites. Besides, <laughs> who do we look to to define whether the, the Christian faith really matters and works? It's Jesus. He's the one who uh, we are told that we should walk even as He walked. Now there was a, there are Pauls who would say, "Follow my example," but ultimately our eyes need to be on Jesus. In the end. If we're, if we're believers who don't abide in Christ in terms of fruitfulness, we're useless Christians. Doesn't mean we're not saved, but we're useless to, to glorifying God and advancing the kingdom. We are in that sense basket case Christians. The definition of the basket case is a person who's useless or just can't cope. And I'm not saying that unkindly. I'm just saying, do you want to be a basket case Christian? Useless to the cause of Christ? Of course not. But what we want to be, can we flash that up there, Marcus? We want to be basketful Christians. And some of you, maybe you already have your Harry and David order in for somebody in your life you want to bless. But I mean, look at that. Isn't that what you want to be spiritually? Something that is really a joy to behold in terms of your godly character and conduct. We're not talking about being super spiritual and all that. We're just saying you're genuine and the life of Jesus, the abundant life that Jesus came to give us is shining through you. You're a a joy to be around. Some people are so negative that if they make it to heaven, they'll complain about the altitude. We don't want to be that kind of Christian, do we? We want to be people who bring joy, not suffering to other people. We don't want to be the people who say, would you... uh, would you like to invite Jesus to come into your life right now? And that person could look and say, no thanks, I've got enough problems of my own. <laughs> we want to be people that say, would you like to? And Can you think of any good reason why you shouldn't invite Jesus into your life right now? Look at the difference. And you don't have to be phony to do that. 
And maybe you wouldn't do it quite that dramatically, but you're positive about it. You're optimistic. You're saying, this is an offer that you can't afford to lose. I've said to friends in more than one case, even when they weren't happy with me, I said, hey, I'm not here to offend you. I just want to see you in heaven. And you can do that too. You won't always get the results you want at that time, but you're planting seed that can bear fruit down the road. Because what did the Bible say? Don't be weary in well-doing, for you will reap in due time, caveat, if you don't do what? You don't lose heart. You don't give up. You don't stop abiding in Christ and in the confidence that he is going to work through you all in God's good time. And when you're a basket, when you're a basket full Christian, <laughs> a fruit basket full Christian, you're not only a pleasure to be around, uh, you're, you're providing spiritual nourishment. You're, 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 you're God's agent of grace that helps feed the flock of God, even if you're not a shepherd. But you're ministering to people and you're encouraging them. Like Barnabas, son of encouragement. Even after Paul took first place, Paul went on, uh, Barnabas went on to be a son of encouragement in John Mark's life. And Mark went on to help Peter write the book of Mark. Uh, I mean, you can't lose when you're being that kind of a person, whether you have an official position or not. So, you want to be a basket case Christian? Or you want to be a fruit basket Christian? I hope we all know what the answer Amen. You preach it, Dylan. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word of truth. I want to thank you that you made us branches, fruit-bearing entities anchored in Jesus Christ, who is the vine. We thank you that you're the vine dresser when there is purging or cleansing that needs to be done in our lives, and we didn't uh, spend a lot of time on that. You do that to uh, help us uh, get rid of the things that uh, Hebrews admonishes us to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily entangle us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. I just pray, Lord, that ultimately the, the uh, sense of the message today will be that your Holy Spirit encourages us to be all that you meant for us to be, to live the life that really matters in your eyes and for the fulfillment of our souls as well as for the edification of the saints as well as the credibility of our witness. And so, Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who hasn't taken the step to become part of your forever family, I want to take a moment for them to have an opportunity to recognize that today is the day of salvation. And if you are such a person, you know that God's speaking to your heart. I can't believe that you're just going to sit there and say, it doesn't matter to me. You're here, the Spirit of God is here, and this is your divine appointment. Don't turn it away. That transaction can take place in the privacy of your heart as I pray this prayer aloud that indicates that you're willing to recognize the ABCs of the gospel. A, I admit that I'm a sinner in God's eyes, no matter how good I look to people around me. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the scriptures say. And B, you're ready to believe that Jesus Christ is God's provision and the only provision for your sin. Because Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. And see, you're ready to make a personal commitment to say, I here and now receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's for you, you can pray this prayer silently as I pray it aloud. Dear God, I may even have questions, but I'm, I'm very aware that 
In your eyes, I'm not very impressive. I'm a sinner, and I confess it. And I do believe that Jesus Christ, even though I don't understand how it all works, enough to know that he died on that cross to be my Savior, too. And I here and now invite him to come into my life as my Savior and Lord and to begin to transform me into the person you've always meant me to be. I ask this in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you that you hear that silent prayer because that's no problem for you. You look at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. And we pray that you will confirm by your sense of peace that comes with your indwelling Holy Spirit that that transaction has been heard and received and there is now a new person in your family that causes the angels in heaven to rejoice. And Father, for the rest of us, that we may be honest in examining ourselves to see if there is something that keeps us from abiding and obeying Jesus, forgetting that anything he admonishes us to do is for our benefit. Because I trust, Lord, that deep down in our hearts, we all want to be fruitful Christians, fruit basket Christians, and be the kind of people, Lord, that not only enjoy the blessing in our own hearts of obedience, but be a means of blessing to others around us by exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit in our character and in our conduct. And also, Lord, add credibility to our witness for people who are watching and need to see somebody that adds up as to how this really does make a difference, not just for pie in the sky, as some people accuse us of, but of living an abundant life in the here and now, in the midst of all the craziness with which we are bombarded on the evening news every day, so that they can see the joy, the peace that passes all understanding, the confidence that we have not only for forgiveness from the past, but power for the present and a rock-solid hope for the future. All of this, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.